0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a conversation with Jen White, the new host of 1A, about how she stays focused on the topics that America most wants to talk about. Hear voices calling for change from the July 4th March for Justice in Tucson. And Doug Cosmo Clifford, the drummer from Creedence Clearwater Revival and a resident of Scottsdale, shares the discovery of an unreleased album he made in 1985. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. This week, listeners to NPR have been hearing a new voice, that of Jen White, who is now the host of WAMU's daily talk show, 1A. White comes to this position after more than two decades as a journalist, producer, and radio host, mostly in Chicago. From her bio, I learned that she and I share something in common. We're both fans of science fiction. Knowing that she was going through a long afternoon of doing radio interviews with NPR stations around the country, I decided to start our interview with a question that I thought Jen White might enjoy.
1: Hi, Mark.
0: Yeah, this is Mark.
1: Hi, Mark. How are you? Hello,
0: Jen. So nice to meet you. Are Are we hitting the ground running and starting the interview? Sure, yeah. How about that Watchmen series, huh?
1: It's amazing. I love it so much. <laughs> it was. Are you serious? Is this is like a real question because I I could talk about Watchmen. It was amazing.
0: Uh, we yeah. Why don't we do that? Um, because I saw your science fiction credentials and was impressed.
1: Watchmen is such a layered show. Um, the way we identify who's a hero and who's a villain, um, how those stories get crafted and told, um, you see. Uh, an alternative history where, you know, the massacre of black people in Oklahoma um, actually isn't forgotten. And it's been forgotten by so many people um, today in in our reality. Oh, I could talk about Watchmen for hours, but I don't work on that show. I work on 1A now.
0: (laughs) That's what I hear. That's pretty exciting. So, um, what do you think is the most important thing about the resources that you now have at your disposal, um, heading up the desk at One A and conducting the interviews, uh, Jen? How much are you involved in choosing the topics that you're going to feature on One A?
1: Oh, I'm I'm involved, but we've got this wonderful group of producers um, who come together, the whole team, the executive producer, the senior producers, and and we all sit down and we pitch. So I have as much of an opportunity to pitch segments for the show as as anyone else. Fortunately, we've got this incredible group of creative, uh, passionate producers who bring great ideas to the table, and um, you know we we make those decisions together.
0: How do you find the sweet spot between being able to plan ahead and have a steady, deep bench of stories awaiting you, and being able to cover breaking news? Not that anything breaks quickly anymore. <laughs>
1: Uh, really, I mean, how much can you prepare for, for breaking news, right? Sometimes you'll have the backstory and you'll have some idea that something's coming or there's a sense that something might come. And so you can kind of prepare for it. Other times something comes completely out of left field and you just have to respond in in that moment and, and try to ask the right questions and, and get the right experts on the line to answer those questions. Um, in terms of preparing for you know the show on a weekly or, or monthly basis, I usually have a stack of books that have sticky notes on them with a date so I can pace out my reading, you know, as we're talking to authors. And, um, you know, the producers do a really good job of, of calling down what is often a large amount of information and and giving me the essentials so I can start my research from that place. I'm not trying to, trying to, to build it all on my own. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how important a production team is for, for a show like this because the producers are essential to helping me just stay prepared because I can't do it on my own.
0: How do you balance accidentally creating a false equivalency between a vocal minority on a subject who is getting the spotlight because they are, you know, the squeaky wheel at that moment and giving fuller perspective to a story?
1: So I think this is, again, a place where working as part of a team is really important because we all have our blind spots. Um, but we can serve as, as a check and balance for for one another. I do think it's really important for us to focus on facts. Um, if scientists and, and health experts and, and um, infectious disease experts are talking about masks and, and saying that they are an effective tool to help prevent the spread of COVID-19, for instance, that's factual that's scientific and it's it's irresponsible of us to then turn and say well but this other group says you know when there's no facts uh, supporting that other that other perspective now what i do think can be useful is to better understand why that other alternative line of thinking developed what it's rooted in so that when people are confronted with that other viewpoint, they have context for it. They understand it. Because the, the fact of the matter is that information is shared widely. Um, it's not always reliable. We, I'm sure you know very well from your own interactions with Facebook and Twitter and other social media, that there are a lot of people in our lives who see something on Facebook and don't know whether it's true or not, and maybe feel like, well, it kind of makes sense, what we can do on this show is say, hey, this is something that's out there. Here's the context for it. Here are the facts. It doesn't mean giving it equal time. It's just providing people context for it so that they can better understand it when they come across it.
0: So tell our listeners how long you've been involved with public broadcasting.
1: I got my first job at a public radio station in 1999. So over over 20 years at this point, which is, you're dating me, Mark, and I don't know if I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> well, it's okay. I go back a little farther, but you can tell people your career spans two centuries.
1: Oh, two decades. <laughs> two decades.
0: <laughs> I try to look at the big picture. Okay. So um, share with us some thoughts then on the idea that NPR is an echo chamber in and of mm. itself, and the idea that a show like 1A might be preaching to the choir to use that old phrase,
1: I think there is truth to a degree that public radio um, can at times be an echo chamber. But I think the similarity for our listeners is that they're interested in listening. they They want to hear other perspectives because I will tell you from experience, and this is anecdotal that Feedback that I've gotten from listeners, it's accused us of being too conservative. It's accused us of being too liberal. We get lots of critique on on the shows that I've worked on before this one.
0: from From either end of the spectrum. From
1: either end of the spectrum. And for me, that's good news because it means that we have people listening who come from different perspectives. And when you listen to 1A and you listen to the the you hear the the messages from the listeners who either, you know, tweet us or send us Facebook messages or text us or leave us a voice message, you get that same range of uh, perspective from from the folks who are listening to the show. And so what I think 1A has done and and I hope we can continue to lean into this, it's really created a show that has become a convener of sorts for for people who while they have different perspectives, they truly are interested in engaging in a conversation um, where they better understand other people's experiences and and perspectives. And, and so I think that's something 1A has, has done successfully so far, and I hope we can continue to do that.
0: Do you ever have the option of turning off your news intake, are you ever able to stop the flow? I mean, what is your oasis to get away from the world, the often frustrating world of current
1: events? I make a point of turning off the news. Um,
0: and you sometimes. can do it, really? Yes, yeah, yeah, Sometimes, yeah. That's... I do.
1: I, 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 it is not easy, um, but what I have found is that for me to sustain myself long-term in this work, I have to step back. Um, and renew myself and restore my personal feeling of balance. Um, sometimes that means, you know, going on on a news diet for a day over the weekend. Um, sometimes it happens, you know, in an hour or two when I'm out walking the dogs or, you know, just saying to my husband hey let's watch this other thing (laughs) let's just turn off the news for a minute and do this other thing to allow my brain and frankly my heart a chance to just to just rest I know for myself I have to do that in order to come to this work fully charged the way I need to be every single weekday
0: Well, in closing, I'd like to hear you share with us a story about a time when you were perhaps a little bit starstruck as a host or as a journalist and and how that moment turned out for you.
1: Oh, wow. Starstruck. the, The conversation I go back to is the conversation I had with Oprah Winfrey for the podcast Making Oprah. I can't describe it as being starstruck. It was just you you need a little background for it. When I moved to Chicago, well, even before that, for folks who haven't listened to the podcast, when I was growing up, Oprah Winfrey started her show on, on the air when I was uh, in middle school. And so my mom and I would, would watch that show, and, and me, the sort of chattiest of, of the seven kids in my family, she would say to me, you know, you can do that. You have a gift. You can do that. And Oprah was one of the earliest models I had for... A black woman hosting a show. And so, you know, to have a chance to sit down with her for a number of hours and talk to her about the creation of the Oprah Winfrey show, there was something that felt very full circle about that moment. And it was funny because when we moved to Chicago, my mom said, You're going to meet Oprah. And this was before we had any idea we were going to do the podcast or anything. And I said, well, mom, she doesn't live in Chicago anymore. You know, she she lives in in Georgia and, you know, she's not there. She said, I just have a feeling. And so to have that interview actually happen and to have a chance to talk to someone who helped me imagine a future for myself, um, it was pretty incredible.
0: I think she calls those full circle moments.
1: Yes, it was definitely a full circle moment.
0: Well, thanks so much, Jen. I, I really appreciate you spending the time to talk to our listeners. You've always got friends here.
1: Mark, thanks so much.
0: Jen White is now the host of 1A. Heard weekdays on NPR 89.1 from 9 to 11 a.m. and 7 to 9 p.m. Usually, it's all about parades, cookouts, and fireworks. But this year's Independence Day observance during the COVID-19 pandemic felt different. Many traditional activities were restricted or canceled, and some Tucsonans preferred to protest instead of celebrate. In the 104 degree heat, around 100 people, all required to wear face masks, gathered in Catalina Park. From there, they peacefully marched into downtown Tucson Demanding liberty, justice, and equality for all human beings. Elisa Ivanetskaya was there and talked to some of the participants.
2: How can we celebrate if we're not even considered people? Because those who signed the Declaration of Independence own slaves and people are in cages right now people are suffering right now people are going missing right now and we're out here fighting for our rights so we should not celebrate independence if we don't have it
1: it's hard to celebrate today as independence day with um, immigrants and with ice and you know people being literally being trapped in cages as well it's
2: affects everybody, which affects me. As long as I live in an unjust system, that affects me. If it affects my neighbor, it affects me, period. It's evident that we have an issue with, you know, a system that is racially biased. Statistically and empirically, the data shows that, yes, there is a systemic bias towards African-Americans. And that's what we're here to challenge. We want to see an end to them. That. That's not changing in America in any... Negative way. It's not taking from America. We're getting rid of something from America's core values and beliefs that has existed for a long time. It's really important for us to show up for our community, and with everything that's happening right now, I feel like it's totally out of line to be celebrating something like the independence in America, even though it's
0: been proven that there are many people that still live under the oppression and rule of white supremacy. And I'm saying that as an immigrant, I'm saying that as a woman of color, as
2: someone who is part of the LGBT community, that there's too many minorities that are oppressed
0: for us to celebrate America being freed.
2: On a personal level, I'm terrified of coming out here, of seeing all these people come out here. I want everyone to be safe, and I don't want anyone to get hurt because of
3: racism.
0: No justice, no no peace. No No racism, no peace. A lot of people are taught about racism in school. I experienced that firsthand. It
2: was so normalized that I didn't even realize that that was a part of my everyday life. My entire life I've experienced racism, everywhere I've went, on all corners of this globe. I'm a veteran, so I've traveled the entire world, and I've seen racism everywhere that I've gone. It does exist, it's real. And why it led to me being here today is because I've been impacted my entire life. When I was six years old, police raided my house, destroyed my home, and took all of the things that my mother had and took my dad away to jail. Another case, when I was about 15 or 16, I'm about 100 feet from my school. I'm walking to my school. There's a cop parked in a parking lot somewhere. He pulls me over. He asked me where I'm going. I told him, I'm going to Western Hills High School. It's right there. So he looks at me and he says, Uh, oh, it's a little bit late for you to be out. See, I was a troubled kid growing up. My home life wasn't all that great. So I didn't always make it to school on time. But I wasn't no truant. But that cop with extreme prejudice went ahead and slapped me with a truancy charge. Even though I did nothing wrong, and even though I was right around the corner from my school, these are very small things, right? They end up in situations that cost people their lives. Say my
3: name. Yeah. My Taylor.
2: about what is unjust first if there's no justifiable reason behind the circumstances of a person's death at the hand of the police then there's really no excuse it is unjustified there are a lot of people in those communities that want to do good for their communities they can't do that in a justice system that doesn't allow for them to be just there are good cops and the police bring things usually what happens is when they report something wrong that happens they always end up losing their jobs this isn't the first time that we've been talking about these issues but it's really really important that everyone stands in solidarity with each other and just because i am not a person of color or an indigenous person doesn't mean that i shouldn't care about my brothers and sisters in this life i may not have the right to vote but i want to spread awareness and make sure that other people do, because we don't want people like Donald Trump to be in office. We don't have to live in a world of racism. We don't have to accept it. We can't choose to take a stand, stand community against community it. looks
3: like. This this is what looks like. Tell me what community looks like. This, this is what, what
2: community, community looks like. Black lives Matter. Black lives, Black lives
0: We heard the voices of Alyssa, Isabel, Devil, Nolani, and Haydn, recorded at the March for True Liberty and Justice for All on July 4th in downtown Tucson. That audio postcard was produced by Elisa Ivanitskaya. The deep, swampy soul of Creedence Clearwater Revival came directly from its four founding members, John and Tom Fogarty, Stu Cook, and Doug Clifford, who gained the nickname Cosmo. Over the course of the 1960s, they went from being Beatle fans in a garage band to headlining at Woodstock, ultimately charting with 16 hit singles. Cosmo Clifford and Stu Cook continued the CCR tradition in their own band until just last year when they performed their final tour as Creedence Clearwater revisited. Cosmo told me at the time that he was looking forward to retiring from the stage to spend more time with his grandkids and work in his home studio in Scottsdale. That was last summer, long before anyone had heard of COVID-19. This summer, Doug Clifford has a new album of music no one else has heard since it was cut back in 1985. It was something he rediscovered during a little pandemic downtime cleanup. We'll be right back. back.
3: couple of little uh, filing cabinets and I put things in there over the years and uh, I was going through and found some uh, quarter inch tape which is usually two track uh, master reels and the master is the finished product from, from a multi-track machine. From there it goes to uh, whatever the medium is, either vinyl or, or CD or uh, whatever. And uh, I've done a lot of recording as a songwriter. I wanted to have um, Finnish masters, something that you could play and, and it, it could be good enough to get on the radio. In other words, a lot of guys will copy their song for just an acoustic guitar and singing a vocal over it. And uh, if you're pushing songs, you want it to, to be great. Out of the box, that that old uh, cliché, you have one chance for a first impression. And so uh, I've been been recording things that I've been writing for decades. And uh, I found this album that I remember, and lo and behold, uh, it it was still good after 35 years. (laughs) Magic window. (laughs)
0: it's kind of like looking through a window back into 1985 how did you balance being the front man as well as the drummer on your album
3: I knew the lead vocals after the basic tracks were done so I didn't try to 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 sing uh, a finished uh, product and and play it's tough but you know the key key to that is having guys that that you know and and you trust and uh, you you have a good uh, line of communication and so what I would do is I would you know play my, my basic tracks and then I would kind of skip along where, where we were in the person and the courses but not saying what, maybe the whole thing the main thing just to keep it simple Yeah, uh, you know you got used to, to that to that method and served as well
0: well when you went back and you heard yourself did you relate to what you were singing about and what you were thinking about in in 1985 did you sound like yourself I guess
3: no I didn't and I liked it because <laughs> uh, you know I didn't know what to expect I'm not a singer but, uh, but I really worked hard on on, on on the vocals I knew that that was a, gonna be my weak if I didn't work okay because it was, it was new. I did something I didn't do a lot I've done all my life is riding a bike. I don't think about it much. I just, as I say, I, I play what I feel and, uh, and that dictates how or what I'm going to play. But singing, I mean, there's a lot to it. So <laughs> I just made sure that we rehearsed our butts off for, for the, each album. We could go in and do a complete album in two weeks, sometimes or even less because we knew what we were going to do when we went through the door and, and inside out and backwards. So, finished product ended up being uh, better than I thought it would because I had a confidence going in. Confidence is a wonderful thing, and so I, I didn't uh, I didn't worry about it when I went in to do my vocals. I just went in with the idea of uh, trying to make it as good as I could possibly do, and don't uh, you know, try and cut the room in, in in a day. Put, put, put your hours in and. And uh, when you'll know when when you're when you're
0: ready, Doug. I'd like you to pick a song and tell us a little something about it as we listen to it going out here.
3: Well, uh, I, I would say, uh, "Don't Leave Me Alone Tonight" uh, would be the one I would pick. It's a ballad and, and, and a love song. Creedence never did a single love song, so. I have multiple love songs, and, and as a, a, a medium for for music in general, love is probably the single greatest thing being written about continually throughout the beginning and and, and, and now, and who knows how far down the future? It's a, it's a great uh, great thing to to uh, think about, and it, and it has so many different uh, twists and turns. There's good love, there's love at first sight, there's bad love, there's uh, love that is fading away. Uh, you know, there's all these things. Miranda's a, a four letter word, the word love, and then, boy, I'll tell you, beyond know, Warwick uh, was right, what the world means now is love, sweet love. <laughs> more, that's one thing that there's just too little of. You yeah, that's that's a good lie with the, the pandemic and the, the children and rest we have in our country and under the division. Well, you we could show you some more. So I uh, I will continue writing about the, the, that subject. We
2: got-
0: That was living legend, rock drummer, and Scottsdale resident Doug Cosmo Clifford. He talked about his Almost Lost album, Magic Window, recorded in 1985. You can find a link to connect with Cosmo on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios, A ZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Elisa Ivanitskaya. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.